0: Here. Are we here? Well, Simon isn't, but I'm certainly here with always present, always great Sarah Feenan.
1: Hello. I am also here.
0: And we are at the 11FS office's WeWork Gate in London for episode 64 of Blockchain Insider. Yay! The weekly show dedicated to the news where blockchain meets crypto and crypto meets institutions. Today we bring you ICO. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200, question mark. Sarah makes a good point about how financial markets work. I'll be interested in that one. And Bitcoin moons in Argentina. But we're not here, just the two of us. Of course, we've got two very special guests. First, Mr. Tim Swanson and Noel Aikenson, our very favorite editorial producer at Coindesk.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Collins. Great to be here. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well. Very excited about all the things we get to talk about today. First, I want to dive right into this. Everybody's been talking about securities, tokens, tokens equal securities, tokens don't equal securities, passing the Howey test, failing the Howey test. Bloomberg is reporting that a U.S. judge has said initial coin offerings can be covered by securities law. So there was a case in the U.S. The federal judges ruled that in this specific case, this ICO, which launched a token, can be covered by fraud rules that cover securities. Tim, you know a lot
3: about fraud. Talk to us about this. Yeah, my my middle name, legal middle name actually is fraud, Um, but in the German way. The funny thing about these ICOs is they're really... We were talking about this earlier. The the only things that have actually been you know, clamped down on are outright fraud. It's not things that were considered. Um Howie testable, as it were. Um, that's not something come up, but apparently uh, this judge is is giving a little bit more of a leash to the SEC specifically. Clayton, uh, he, early, he said many different things. Uh, he goes to just as many fintech events as the rest of us. Apparently, that's that's what the SEC spends all of its time on. I'm mostly joking on that, but yeah. So ser- seriously, the uh, the fact that, that they there uh, a, a judge that's independent of the SEC is coming down and saying this is considered a big deal. Again, I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer. You need to call Stephen Paley up for for his two cents. We definitely will, and I think what really important that you, you highlighted across in this a lot of people don't
0: understand, especially when when uh, Hinman came out from from the SEC and said this thing about sufficiently decentralized, or as Tim, you like to call it the Hinman test, uh, which is still very unclear. The SEC is like the police of securities. They're not the judge, the one that ultimately makes the rules and takes these decisions. You know, what do you think about this? Does this mean that everybody that's launched an ICO should now be worried about it? Um, they're all going to go to jail. Is it more nuanced than that?
2: I think everyone should have been worried about it from day one, to be honest. I mean, nothing really new there. What is interesting with this is that as far as I know, it's going to be the first time that the definition of security and how ICOs work, will be explained to a jury unless they settle before it goes to trial. That, as far as I know, and correct me, Tim, if I'm wrong, has not happened before, explaining this to a jury and having them decide to the extent which these are securities.
0: Wow. Explaining to a jury.
2: I would like to be there.
0: I can barely explain this stuff to my mother, so... (laughs) Um, so
2: that's going to be quite interesting. And the judge did say, again, if I'm not mistaken, that he thinks they are securities, but he did recognise that it is going to be up to the jury. Wow. Okay. This um,
1: one is very interesting. So I think to, to Tim's point that this is an outright fraud. Uh, this is a criminal case, and a man has been charged with promoting digital currencies backed by investments in real estate and diamonds that allegedly did not exist. So it's sort of the ICO is just... Um, the tool a means to, to an end yeah. yeah it's a tool to commit fraud anyway I don't think there's any question about whether that, whether or not this is fraudulent given that there was nothing backing it um, I wondered to what extent it will be relevant whether it's an ICO or not or they'll just focus on the, the fact that the somebody has taken investment for something that didn't exist well
2: it is actually very relevant because if it's not a security then it is not falling foul of securities laws Yeah, so I, it's I, just I, fraud then yeah. I th- but, I think, or maybe not even necessarily I mean fraud has to be very well defined I'm not a lawyer but if I understand correctly fraud has to be very carefully defined in the law before it can be prosecuted.
3: Sure. So as observers, we should like to have these lawsuits actually go to court, have the jury come up with a verdict, and then we we find out. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of uh, people sitting on podcasts all day long talking about it. So.
0: Which we do love, especially when you listen to it. One one thing that really stood out to me um, was the point you were making there, that the, the judge pointed out there was no blockchain. I think Uh, It feels like August 2017, there was a special case in London as well, where somebody got picked up for launching a token that wasn't actually a token, there was no blockchain, it was just outright fraud. Um, So I wonder if if part of the read across in this is, if you don't have a blockchain, it's definitely a security, because it's 100% centralized, and it doesn't matter
3: what our definition of sufficiently decentralized on a blockchain is, if there's no blockchain. Yeah, and and, and actually, I think the quote was, there was no blockchain, no real estate, there was no diamonds, uh, is what the judge said. Um, The question is, is how nuanced is he actually saying with that, because if you look at the ERC-20 tokens, they're technically not a blockchain. They're sitting on top and piggybacking on something that's a blockchain. So uh, it'd be interesting uh, to see what the prosecution says and what the defense pushes it back against as far as what a blockchain actually is defined by. And on the topic of fraud,
0: we have more fraud to report in the United States. FINRA, so this is the organization in charge of financial markets. um, I believe it's an SRO amongst all the banks and all all related, have charged a broker who uh, purported to be the first Regulated crypto hedge fund or something of that that liking. Um, they said that what they've been doing is illegal because they actually haven't been signed off by the SEC or anyone else. And they've come back against them and said, right, all of this is outright lies. You're going to go to jail, too. Well, maybe I'm a bit far. They've been accused of these things, and, and it's reported they've done all these things. We'll see what a jury says about this. Um, but in the context of fraud, one of the really interesting things when we started talking about the SEC and securities was not just ICOs, ICO promoters, ICO issuers, was Potentially, these crypto hedge funds or, or other investment vehicles are also susceptible to some of these uh, scarier regulations.
3: Is this what we're seeing, or is this just an isolated case? Well, just so the listeners know, this is something about Hempcoin. So, I mean, if we <laughs> if we could just look at the name of it, uh, and, and it's actually it, it's nothing new too. Like, if you, if you look at these this specific case, I believe is starting in, in 2013. So, this is the statute of limitations, I guess, hasn't hasn't ended up. So, to, to your question, um, whether or not. Th- I think the person accused here says that he feels that he was just being targeted because of the being a, a fund, supposedly. I don't know if, if this will be a... Like, I'm sure between both of all four of us, we've been at events where the people running funds or bragging about how they're trading on, on some, some kind of exchange without having to go through the KYC process. Or I remember meeting some people out in New York City a number of times saying, oh, they're not licensed to do what they're doing, and they do it anyway. So uh, I don't think going around bragging about it, or in this case, this guy was actively advertising it. I mean, it's going to catch up with you if there's any kind of documentation. Um, Stephen Paley's got my favorite thing on the, the ICO white paper, white paper, like anything that you write down can be used as evidence against you. And in, in this case, uh, it looks like it's catching up with this guy four years later.
2: One thing that I found really amusing about this, I don't know if you all saw the tweet by Jason Zweig of the Wall Street Journal, in which he said, that feeling when you get disciplined by FINRA for a fraudulent offering that involved both crypto and weed, and you didn't even make that much money off it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess go big or go home,
1: right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I have um, I have questions. I have more questions about this than um, ans- uh, answers, actually, and something I'd like to ask Tim. Could you explain to us non-Americans, or at least this one who doesn't understand it, what's the difference between FINRA and the SEC, other than SEC is a government regulatory body and FINRA isn't? It seems to us like they're going after the same thing. Is that duplication of work, or do they have fundamentally different roles?
3: Uh, they have different roles, but in, in the police like SEC obviously is the big mothership that could come after a, v- a variety of actors within, as, as the mandate says, uh, securities. And exchanges, Finra doesn't have the resources that the SEC does necessarily. But uh, they, in fact, you you could see on a daily or weekly basis, you could see who they've settled with, name by name, and what the quote unquote crime were. But the punishment is not nearly as severe as the SEC is. It's maybe two years of punishment and you know tens of thousands of dollars. Where the SEC will, you know, they'll work in conjunction with like the Department of Justice and throw people in jail. Not not that that happens often, but they have a lot more policing power and ability to work with other entities. But um, um, yeah, it's it's not uncommon that you you'll, you maybe see some overlap, um, especially as years go by. Depending on uh, sets of cases, uh, the, the the workload that they have to go through, especially with these broker dealers, like I can not imagine the, the the finite amount of resources and the amount of people that are scamming or doing something that they're not allowed to, it's just never ending. So it's uh, I hate to say that they're doing uh, the cliche phrase they're doing God's work, but like. You know, someone, someone's got to do it. That's what the SRO is set up. And, you know, fun fact, there are no SROs at all in the cryptocurrency world. And there's, you know, yet, yet another uh, coin lobbying organization was announced this last week. So there's not a whole lot of incentives to run an SRO. Uh, there's not a whole lot of incentives to, to fund taxpayer-based organizations like the SEC. Um, that's a whole other topic. But, yeah, that's uh, it's it's a long answer to your question.
2: Okay, so a bit like what Simon's setting up with Global Digital Finance uh, Initiative. So the FINRA is the light touch of regulation. It's the slap on the wrist. It's the we're all in this together. Let's behave, guys. And if you don't, we're going to... You to put you in the corner, whereas the SEC is a bigger deal.
3: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you could walk around with a saying, oh, I got FINRA, fine, whatever, not a big deal. But uh, yeah, the SEC is definitely something that you never want to have on your record, whereas FINRA, I, don't, <laughs> again, I wouldn't want to have that on my record either. But yeah, it's considered a little bit lesser of a, a lesser of a big deal. Okay, you could
2: still go out for drinks with them in the evening.
3: You could.
0: I'm not <laughs> <laughs>
2: American, they wouldn't invite me.
0: Oh, <laughs> I'm sure they would love to have you along. So if we've looked at fraud and how these things apply, Uh, I think what's really interesting still on the regulatory front, talking about the nuance that we've we've had, not specifically in cryptocurrencies, but Jay Clayton, who's the chairman of the SEC, um, made a statement. And, and it was an interesting statement. He talked about the commission's longstanding position that all staff statements are non-binding and create no enforceable legal rights or obligations of the commission or other parties. So really, um, the reason I picked this up and I thought this was interesting was this specifically hit at the point about the Hinman test um, that you know maybe this isn't actually our position as the SEC. We're very happy that people that work for the SEC and senior positions come out and say, this is the way we look at things because that helps give guidance. But if they decide they're going to turn around and put you in jail, it's not because Hinman said that you're sufficiently decentralized, that you're safe. Is this reading too much into it? Am I reading the tea leaves? Or or what do you guys think?
2: No, I think this is very good news. One thing that has driven me mad recently about media reporting about Ether and Bitcoin is the pronouncements. The SEC has said they are not securities, and the SEC has not said they are not securities. High-ranking officials who work for the SEC have said they're not securities. And so I'm very grateful that uh, Chairman Clayton is pointing out to us that one does not necessarily the other obviously the high ranking officials have influence but it's not the same thing.
3: So snarkily, like, was he actually trolling himself? Like, you know, this is his own view, saying this, saying about these other people. So <laughs> a little, little meta there. But um, to uh, to your question there, I, I saw both uh, David Silver, Stephen Paley talking about that and they both said, well, hey, before we get you know so egotistical about our, the quote unquote blockchain space, you know, they could be referring to other people. I mean, in this space, you also had uh, Hester Pierce, she was saying things about the ETF. I mean, not so much Hinman. Hinman obviously is a senior person, but you have a commissioner who's going around saying, oh, let's just go ahead and let the ETF go. Was, was it was he targeting? Speaking of that I don't know. This is all speculation. Is he in a Telegram group? Is uh, is Jay Clayton t- telling you anymore? and
0: in- I, I I haven't been receiving too much from Jay Clayton. He hasn't been giving me good trading tips. Shilling on
2: his it. own opinions.
0: Shilling his opinions or, or coins or anything else.
2: I do have to ask why the SEC lets slash encourages their officials to go out there and talk. Uh,
0: it's like all organizations, right? When you have senior people, if you say you, you can't say anything unless it's a party line. It's hard to retain those people, right? Huh? And okay. banks see this. Good and I, I, I remember very clearly headlines. We still see a, a lot of them. I think we talked about one on the show last week where it's, you know, somebody from this team met somebody doing cryptocurrency. That means BlackRock's doing cryptocurrency. That means JP Morgan's doing cryptocurrency I mean, trading.
2: We see that on the media too. Yeah, they,
0: they love that. But you
3: know, some of it could be trial, trial balloons too. So just to see what people react with. Again, I'm not saying that SEC is creating, uh, <laughs> planning to enforcement based off trial balloons, but it, it certainly allows what you're saying, like a little, little faucet of release to, so right. people could you know, have some quote unquote independent views out there.
0: And I, th- I think what you said about this is is a really important point as well. Is you know, it could be about something very different, where there was a statement about. I don't know, real estate assets and how you consider those. And there's the SEC view and then there's what's happening. It doesn't have to be about this, but I think that everybody who's said Ethereum is safe or Ether is safe because Hinman said sufficiently decentralized, to your point, well, maybe not. Uh, At the end of the day, it's going to come back up to the the first story we had. A jury will decide at some point whether it comes as, you know, it's not a security or it is or it was and it isn't. We don't know.
1: I think all of these opinions that we've been seeing, and we have to remember they are opinions, uh, it's very important to have that decision. It's very important to have people, authorities, disagreeing with one another. And yes, at some point they'll come up with a party line and, and, and publish it, and then there'll presumably be something you can test against, like the Howie test. But until then, it really is just just opinions. So m- as much as we like talking about it, I'm sure they enjoy talking about it as well. So it's good to hear.
2: And even if a jury does decide in the in the, um, the, the Department of Justice thing we were talking about before, that doesn't make it law necessarily. Is that correct?
3: Yeah. So they're enforcing stuff in the legislature in any of these countries or states or provinces they could come back through and, and clarify with law. In fact, that's preferable instead of having agencies to do execution of whatever that law might be, having to quote unquote come up with laws. If, uh, one, of the, one of the attorneys, I won't mention which, which case we We've already talked about one of the attorneys I met, defending one of these clients here in March uh, at one of these events in D.C. He's like, uh, we are willing to go sue the SEC for providing lack of guidance, and rather, you know, they're going through these these suits as they are uh, rather than providing clear guidance. He felt that that was unhelpful, but again, he's defending a client who's being accused of again one of these egregious cases that we've already mentioned of fraud i was not aware that you could even sue the sec i thought they were untouchable you could sue all you could sue any agency you might not especially be able in to the u.s in court but yeah it, you know, <laughs> like uh, people send out lawsuits all the time suing everybody
0: uh, you know i guess i guess if there's still a boom to be had in in the crypto space it's suing people so well done preston burn and and everybody else <laughs> in, involved in that space uh go marmots moving right along to our our good friends over at deer magazine um and Definitely sign up for this newsletter if you're you're interested. It comes out weekly, D R D I A R dot C-O. Uh, big fans of them, as well as Coindesk and, and some of the other good publications. This one comes for our very own Sarah, talking about single points of failure and trust in financial markets infrastructure. So, Sarah, shill it like a Polaroid.
1: Yes, thank you very much, Colin, for giving me the opportunity to shill my own piece um, on your show.
2: It wasn't, so, it wasn't an excellent piece, though. I'm saying as someone who, who isn't Sarah, Sarah, it, it was, was an excellent piece.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should also uh, thank Tim Swanson for his uh, excellent advice uh, throughout the process. And my mum and, oh, and, of course, God. Um, <laughs> There's a grand marriage proposal coming up on this, too. <laughs> so everyone but,
3: everyone but Colin, is that what you're trying to say?
1: And Colin for allowing me to shill it. He was the first one to thank.
0: Uh, you did say it was my show. I think it's sufficiently decentralized. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Very good point. Okay, yeah, so so to dive into the article, if uh, for those of you who haven't read it, uh, it's about Single Point of failure and trust in financial market infrastructure. So there's lots that have been said over the past couple of years well much longer actually about single points of failure when it comes to organisation um, but if we're looking specifically in, in this case in financial market infrastructure so I've focused on the case of uh, CCPs, central counterparties. So over the well they've, they've been around for centuries but certainly over the last 10 years they've become more and more uh, behemoth and according to other people whose opinion I happen to agree with Uh, systemic risk. In fact, um, somebody said there's a, a bigger systemic risk that exists in financial services now. So this is a continuation of a series of posts we've been doing around decentralized financial market infrastructure and just looking at how we can um, kind of decentralise what the topology of these, um, this new market infrastructure looks like in terms of governance and also in terms of trust and mutualisation of risk. And they, they were brought about to do, which is lower transaction costs, but in a decentralised way where there's a series of bilateral risks instead of all centralised in one place in the middle. Discuss.
3: Yeah, I thought it was a fantastic article. I mean, uh, you guys and, and Robert specifically over there at, at Clearmatics, full disclosure, I'm an advisor at Clearmatics, um, been very influential in my thinking um, over the last few years. And, uh, you know, his um, discussion of intermediation and SIFIs uh, in particular, uh, it, nobody S- really talks about
0: Systemically that. important financial
3: institutions. Yes, exactly, yeah. And that, that term came about, you know, 10 years ago. I mean, it's been around forever, but, like, became highlighted in newspaper headlines and stuff like that. But it, it still doesn't get enough uh, attention, I think, uh, from all the crypto mania or cryptocurrency mania, because most of the people involved in that don't actually look at, the, for example, the PFMI, uh, Principles from Financial Market Infrastructure. It's, it's just not something on the radar, because everyone thinks all financial institutions do is just process payments or something like that. Like That's the only thing that they do, but there's enormous amounts of other areas of infrastructure that exist. And so, yeah, your article was, was great. I'm really glad you put it out there. Um, for what it's worth, I wrote an article also that linked to yours in that same issue. But I won't go into that. Uh, that's we a, covered it last week. Oh, you we did. didn't we know got we got were to shield. Yeah, so it was but-
1: shilled last week. Uh, but I think that's a very good point, and uh, it's. Something that is incredibly important is these these foundations in financial services, uh, and you see a lot of uh, kind of move to maturity in the cryptocurrency space, looking at ETFs and other different structured products or financial instruments that you might be able to redesign or or refactor, repurpose to um, fit into the cryptocurrency space. But all of these, all of the foundations that have has been evolving over the last twenty, thirty years, and plus as well, but much much quick much more quickly. That's actually right for disruption as well and it has become very centralised and it has become incredibly risky and is expensive to run and uh, the knock-on effects of some of these tail events that you might get where a, a CCP ends up in default. Now, that could be incredibly problematic. So it's very helpful to be able to kind of redesign what exists at the foundational levels, as well as looking at nice new products that you can trade your crypto on. So
0: to get really geeky on financial market infrastructure, because I know a, you uh, love So the last time we saw one collapse was in 1987. So we're talking about like the explosion of these things in the last 10 years. And, and we're recording this just about the 10th anniversary of Lehman's collapse. None of them blew up in 2008. And, and actually... A lot of the movement from the G20 in Pittsburgh in 2009 was to say put everything in these because it yep. didn't blow up. Yep. And and what you're saying is maybe we've gone overboard and the pendulum swung too far.
1: Yeah, I think so. And since I mean that's that's exactly right. It's almost like you've read the piece, Colin. It's almost um, like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's been a great deal more trading, so the volume of these instruments is higher. Plus, more types of instruments have gone into CCPs, um, and I think the the move has been towards continuation of that. Um, I think the the pendulum swinging too far. I, the thing is, I don't know. So there's been two years where there's been CCP stress tests, the re- results of which have been announced. Uh, and I'm sure that those these tests will continue to evolve as well to study the interconnectedness and kind of second layer effects of what it would be like if one of the members default. But there's connectedness between all these different members as well and globally too. So I don't think a lot of that picture and that topology has really been uh, brought to the surface yet, so we continue to see how these things will, will go. But I think that there's certainly a lot of centralization. So
3: on that point, uh, in fact, I think you mentioned uh, in your article about a li- living will. <laughs> so for the for the audience not familiar with it, the, the living will, just as you uh, as the name suggests, is you have these institutions that may maybe unfortunately collapse, uh, and they need to have a way of of unrolling or unraveling or all the positions that they're in charge of. How do they handle that? Because uh, you. You have such concentration of, of of I guess you could say wealth that's tied up here. Uh, what, what happens? What happens if more than one of those take place roughly the same time? So for all all the people that are out there that are listening, that are say cryptocurrency fans, instead of instead of sitting there and arguing and creating memes all day on on Twitter, yelling at someone like myself, you could actually put your, your you know. Uh, you know, so, so I encourage people actually my own article like if you want to build infrastructure that reduces this type of systemic risk it's a whole other conversation and there's some homework out there you could do on, on FMI PFMI specifically this is not new stuff they've they, they've had you know these FSB meetings like every couple of years or so I think what Mark Carney's actually in charge of or leader of the FSB. So like uh, to, to your point like there there could be ways to build this infrastructure you, you guys propose a DFMI model which I think is encouraging but there is no blueprint. Uh, as far as I'm aware of. Um, so if, if readers or, or if listeners are interested, feel free to contact us. This is a, a topic I think is really, really interesting. Not enough people are, are unfortunately writing about it, and hopefully we'll get the DR guys to actually add uh, some URL. You, know, so you can actually see the URL links in your, in your story here so that it's easier to read.
2: Can I jump in with a question? And after this, everyone's going to jump on me and pummel, I, I'm sure. I totally love the analysis of the vulnerabilities of the current system. It's something that we are not aware enough of. My question is, how do you avoid... Decentralization in the blockchain design, and then how will a blockchain actually help prevent the centralization happening again ten, fifteen years down the line?
3: So, for what it's worth, I'm not on the show to promote blockchains or distributed ledgers. I think they could be a tool potentially. Um, that's a whole other conversation about you know shared states and stuff like that. Um, uh, I, I think that what we've seen, at least on quote unquote public chains, is this gravitation towards Uh, Economies of scale on the mining side, which actually creates this really strange permissioned-on-permissionless system where you have high capital costs to get – high entry costs and high exit costs uh, on the mining side, yet you do not have the same accountability that you have with uh, the existing infrastructure. So you have high proof-of-work costs, but you don't have any any additional – legal recourse in case you have uh, for example, a block reorg or something like that. So uh we can only speculate what could happen 10, 15 years from now, but we, we do know like from uh evidence over since you know the last ten years nine and a half years since the first Genesis block, um the uh Concentration takes place on any of these proof-of-work networks. Whether it's a proof-of-stake, I, I, I'm not going to get into that, but I'm very skeptical the the solution to any of the concentration risk or the, the, the intermediation that we've seen on these existing FMI is going to be solved through getting a bunch of unaccountable miners in some country that have no legal recourse over.
0: But on that, there was an interesting and much more recent and much larger test of that, which was post-DAO, DAO, um, with Ethereum splitting off into Ethereum Classic, And the, let's call it, reorg chain uh, that was the hard fork that is now still Ethereum ETH. I think, at least in, in some circumstances, if it goes that way, we know what that could look like. Whether that could happen again, I don't know. But at least we have a case study to say the system didn't collapse. Yes, there were questions around what happens inside the market infrastructure, which I would argue the big ones now, yes, miners are a big issue. But the real big problem are these big exchanges. And we've seen what happened when Mt. Gox collapsed. What would happen if if Bitfinex collapsed or BitMEX collapsed or or one of these big exchange groups which I would argue, are the equivalent of the PFMIs in the cryptocurrency Yeah,
1: space. I mean, I think it's a very good point to bring to bring them up as well, because what, what you're both talking about there is the economic incentivization. And with public chains, it's mining. And with the existing financial market infrastructure, it's a kind of verti- vertically integrated system where the exchanges also own the CCPs. And there's very little choice. If you want to trade on a said exchange, you have to clear through said CCP. And that's you know, kind of going against a lot of the PFMI as well in terms of competition. It's going against a lot of the regulation that's coming around in terms of competition. But it's the same theme economic incentives to be able to have more stuff. So I think the way. Blockchains could help. I guess there's a kind of administrative side and a business model side as well. Um, the way I see it, because you have the administrative side where you have the shared record of truth. You, I know you see what I see, etc. I know everyone sees what I see. The regulator can see it too. You have that kind of level of transparency, which will save a great deal of money in terms of reconciliation, uh, which also you know creates creates a lot of time um, as well and creates these sort of or is partially responsible for the market standard of why it takes so long to settle some trades and things but then looking on the business model side as well to move away from that economic incentivization of centralization if you have these kind of member-owned member-governed systems whereby there's users and producers of the system but there's no free riders then you can actually use that structure and topology to create something that doesn't incentivize huge fees or huge costs or monopolistic or oligopolistic tendencies Uh, but everyone that's participating in the network can share the risk and share the remuneration as well.
2: That would be assuming that everyone is in agreement with what is needed at the given time and given the sprawling nature of the interconnectedness as you said that's going to be fairly unlikely I'm guessing so some central organisation would need to decide on the architecture. Well, guess
0: Well, so, <laughs> yeah. so, so so I think
3: <laughs> just to be clear for the listener, uh, there's two separate types of networks we're talking about: we're the anarchic networks of these cryptocurrencies, in which there's no like terms of service or EULAs, and then you have these quote-unquote permission chains, which is what you would be building for financial mar- actual actual financial market infrastructure. I, I want to go back real quick to what you were saying, Colin, um, saying that you know exchanges are are SIFIs, not absolutely true. You know, Bit Bitmax, Bitfinex are in Binance are, relative to the size of the network, Relative, yeah, no. proportionally to what what volume goes through them, uh, absolutely. But again, when we Say that you know the the Dow didn't lead to an existential problem. In point of fact, if we actually did put financial instruments on there with long life cycles, you would have to reissue them. You'd have to go back and somehow cancel others. You can't go to court and say this instrument is valid on. The deprecated chain, or the third or fourth or whatever the chain, you know, Monero's forked four, four times earlier this year just to be quote unquote ASIC resistant. So, you know, this goes back to discussions we've had, you know, with Robert and others the last three four years on settlement finality, or like even for example, um, not to pick on uh, Gemini, but they issued the GUSD this past week. It's an ERC twenty token. Well, if you end up putting a lot of value on top of the network uh, as the ERC twenty, then you could come up with a new, it creates a new attack service to you know, effectively go after uh, you know, these piggybacking uh, mechanisms. It was Color coins, you know, four years ago, those were really popular. There's not enough value to make it worthwhile, you know, some hedge fund to hire a bunch of miners to actually attack the network through, you know, some kind of withholding attack or something like that. So uh, obviously, this is a whole other conversation, but um, I think it all goes back to accountability with. With traditional FMI, you could hold somebody accountable, you could sue them. With this anarchic world purposely, there was no contract, so you can't actually go out and sue them. But I think at some stage, if you do put real value on there, somebody will try to sue you, the David Silvers of the world. You should bring one on the show if you haven't done it yet. We definitely need to.
2: And it's interesting how the ability to be able to sue actually increases the trust in the system. Strangely enough.
3: I thought we were moving to a trust <laughs> well, ac- us for
2: Some sort of accountability. Just one, one, one last note
3: on that. Um, so the the interesting case that he's doing, he's he sued many different exchanges, different coins, uh, is the Nano case in January. Um, if you're not familiar, remember what happened to Nano? An exchange called BitGrail, I think it was in Italy or Brazil, I forget which country, uh, got hacked. A significant portion of, of Nano was sitting on that exchange. It was stolen. And... There's a class action lawsuit. The David Silver's law firm has filed. Nano the, or Nem? N A N O. They used to be called. Um, it was a previous name that they renamed themselves. But anyways, the um, one of the bits of recourse that they would like to have is a rollback. So they want to. They're, they're basically suing core developers to. Because they could have prevented this in their in their view, and now they want to have a rollback. Again, it's not gone to court. This yeah. is very early on. This is eight months afterwards, So these court cases could take a long time. But uh, again, I don't know what will happen. If Nano community will create more forks, or if the core developers will you know plead you know immunity somehow. Uh, Angela Walsh. I'm not sure if you've had her on show. She'd be great to talk to about that because she has this coders as fiduciaries meme that she pushes. So, anyways, don't want to monopolize the conversation. But yeah, there's this, this very sprawling conversation at this stage. A fork a day keeps the lawyers away. Uh,
1: but these, I mean. So- Suing somebody is, is a a recourse mechanism. It's it's one recourse mechanism. Uh, but there are potentially ways you could actually automate some or automate away some of this bad behavior, especially in a per- permission setting.
0: Before we move on, today's episode of Blockchain Insider is brought to you by R3. Yay! Blockchain is not just for FinServe financial services. Sorry, Simon, I have to say financial services. Tons of industries can reap major benefits, including insurance, healthcare, pharma, automotive, you name it. Actually, I will name it. Discover the potential of blockchain for your business with R3's Corda platform. It's actually open source, isn't it? Go Corda, Corda platform is unique, uniquely offers privacy, interoperability, integration, and consensus and it works next to a field. Plus, it includes mission-critical features that every complex business needs. Every single complex business needs it, including the world's only blockchain application firewall. And we heard last week that Mike Hearn hates that term. So we're going to keep saying blockchain application firewall. The Corda platform, blockchain for every business in every industry. Head over to r3.com for more information. From our friends over at Reuters, the $1 billion Tezos blockchain has finally launched on mainnet. Uh, so I've got a press release here from them from the other day. Uh, I caught up with Archer over the weekend. Um, the foundation is proposed was the genesis block that's become uh, effective as their mainnet? net uh, what i thought was really interesting about tezos going live it, it's been what just over a year since they uh had their ico and it was 232 uh, million dollars at the time so quite a large raise um this thing's finally gone live all of their 400 validators they call bakers which i guess the equivalent of uh miners have uh started up and running on their their beta net we went through several iterations of this and uh now they're finally alive so congratulations uh tezos team I don't know if anybody wants to add anything.
1: It's good to see a little bit of progress from them, because I know they've been in turmoil for the last year, so we'll watch this space.
0: Moving right along, Binance has started a closed beta testing of their new crypto-to-fiat exchange in Singapore. And actually, there was more in in this article that we got from Cointelegraph. I know it's not the best one out there, but... We heard that they, they did some deals with the Liechtenstein Crypto Asset Exchange, LCX, as well as the Malta Stock Exchange, and they're trying to really push this narrative. Uh, Simon's talked a lot about it, um, the security token, and they really want to be the bread and butter of this. Obviously, they list a lot of shit coins, so they know a little bit, a little bit about uh, how securities work on a blockchain, uh, as well as cryptocurrencies and, and now fiat. So, um, congratulations again, guys over at Binance. I know everybody has a lot to say about this one. Oh my God,
3: shaking my head, shaking my head. S M H. Guys, look, there's a. uh, Where to start with Binance? Binance was kicked out of China, kicked out of Japan, and now we're in in, in Malta because Malta has specific laws or lack their enforcement thereof. Same thing with like Gibraltar, Uganda. Like they're just they're they're just playing the. uh, in, In Bermuda, as as countries, like there's reasons why entities, specific types of entities are attracted to these jurisdictions. I'm not saying it's all because of money laundering, but there's a significant portion, there was an article this past week, we were talking about it prior to the show from Bloomberg, you know, why the EU hates Malta. And it's because Malta is a a haven for people trying to move illicit activity. Uh, The KYC process in Binance allows anyone that wants to move up to two bitcoins of value without having to do any kind of KYC. Now, obviously, that's a, at a retail consumer level. I understand that enterprise and and uh, larger institutional clients are apparently like hev- more heavily scrutinized. But like, I, I don't see why we should be applauding an organization that is knowingly flaunted, actively flaunts. Good laws uh, to per, you know protect both investors and consumers. You know, and back to the security tokens things. I mean, I'm skeptical of like if we made Apple a tokenized you know security. Why would that go 10x? Like, what additional utility? to the investor does that provide? I'm not saying people shouldn't or organizations shouldn't quote-unquote tokenize, but I think they're two separate things. Number one, Binance is an organization that knowingly flaunts decent laws and then this whole tokenization idea. I mean, we could hold a whole show on both of those, actually. Uh, you know, if the virus is going to spread, it's got to do it somehow.
2: <laughs> on, the, on the Malta thing, I mean, one thing that Malta is known for is its online gaming uh, as, as an online gaming haven and that does obviously attract a certain unsavory element and so it is getting more increasingly scrutinized now for money laundering, which is a problem that we have endemic in the crypto sector as well. The concern is going to be, is the EU going to hand down sanctions to Malta two, three years from now, as they have just done to Hungary for violation of what they deem good regulations?
0: I guess the question I'd ask on this is: Are they actually breaking the law? I mean, we sit around the table as pundits and we go, "Yeah, well, of course they are, right?" I'm not
2: saying that binance are necessarily, you know, better than anybody else. Um, We're going to find out a lot more tomorrow. I imagine we have CZ is speaking at the inaugural Consensus Singapore event, and more will be forthcoming, no doubt, about their Singapore exchange. Then Singapore is not a lax regulatory regime. It may have easier rules than other places, but they are an FX center, and they are pretty well watched. Then again, who will be regulating them in? Singapore? Will it be the MAS, which regulates the FX trading, or will it be the the stock exchange?
0: I I want to come back and hit on a point that you you two were saying, you know, about the the rules within a European context, and and Europe getting pissed off at them. Malta's known also for being kind of the first jurisdiction that a lot of non-European companies decide to work with, because whenever a new law comes to the European uh, Union Parliament, they're the first ones to onboard it. And then everybody goes, well, okay, there's this new thing I heard about, like MIFID 2, are we complying with it? Yeah, we're in Malta, so we're complying with it. There is no Howey test in Europe. That doesn't exist. We haven't called these things definitely securities. We... Securities are securities, and that's very narrowly defined within Europe. So maybe Malta's fine. Maybe what we're doing is okay. Yes, we can question the history of Binance, and I think it's very fair to stand them up and not say, right, just you're gonna be grandfathered into this because you made a lot of money and you're you're too big to fail, I guess, in this small space, or at least you've got enough money to pay everybody off. So let's scrutinize everybody and not just give them a pass because they happen to be here and now they've decided to become best practice if you know they were the the mobsters of the day i mean this is how las vegas started right las vegas is now legitimate but it was started by the mafia let's assume that there's some mobsters out there and as soon as they build a nice uh nice casino let's let's not let them off but let's also be uh, a bit more nuanced in and where they are today maybe they just decided that you know okay until these things are called securities they're not securities which is i think where the european commission is going and yes i i would challenge this i was at an event with the oecd and specifically this was challenged the european commission blockchain person to say are you getting too cozy with the people that are promoting these things which is the point you brought up about some of the the lobbying organizations in the us and i think that is a major major concern that these organizations are getting paid by the european commission for example to help write the rules about what is and isn't a security on the blockchain world but let's also not jump in and say binance is evil let's say Let's make sure that they can catch up with everything, and if they've done something wrong in the past in the jurisdiction that they're they're in or that they were in, let's take care of that.
3: I don't think that's so fair at all to entrepreneurs who try to do it the right way, which is to actually follow uh, existing good laws. This is not like a taxi medallion conversation. We're not talking about you know uh, monopolies around transportation in a local city. We're talking about financial markets and like upending decades or centuries of. of decent law, like, if you want to have get-rich-quick schemes, just go through all the SEC laws and you can see, okay, the reason these laws exist is because somebody got screwed over. And, like, I just don't see how Binance is considered a good actor. Like, if you wanted, to, if, if Deutsche Börse or any of the large exchanges want to do, be as profitable as is Binance, all they have to do is cut their entire compliance team uh, and list every single potential security that people send the white paper on. Like, I don't I don't, I don't understand why Binance is considered creative. Sure, they may have excellent execution uh, opportunities, but they're doing uh, regulatory arbitrage by jumping to all these different jurisdictions why why is that a good why is non-compliance considered as innovative
0: i completely agree and i I think the point i'm trying to make here is within the jurisdiction that they're in the european union it's not clear that they're breaking the law yes there are things that they're doing behind the scenes that we're not talking about things like maybe money laundering that they are doing that are clearly breaking the law in the european union but by listing these tokens i don't think anybody in the european union has yet said at, at that legal point of view that You're listening to security. And a lot of countries are trying to embrace this. The UK, France is trying to embrace this. Malta is trying to embrace this. Whether it's right or wrong, yes, let's discuss that. But from a legal point of view, have they broken the law? with regards to listing all these cards?
1: I think that one of the difficulties about some of the ICOs is that traditionally they have been the money has been raised before there's a product or a prototype or anything like that. And so there's this gap of time where is it a security? Isn't it a security? And I think the the still the questions for me are the less obvious like, you know, this is fraud or a scam or this is clearly an equity or debt instrument. Uh, there's the space of time. Binance
3: coin Binance coin their own proprietary coin traded on their platform that gives you rights to vote on tokens being listed like that as a hallmark of a security being able to vote I'm not a lawyer I'm not going to sit here and represent legal stuff but it just seems from a layman's person perspective that many of the things that they list a lot of the behavior is, is activity that's heavily regulated in just about any part of the EU let alone other parts of the world
1: yeah and that's another question I have as well is about that kind of the responsibility of the platform yeah if we take aside Binance coin, um, maybe they haven't issued any securities. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. But if they haven't, they've certainly enabled things that are probably unregistered securities in certain jurisdictions, for example, the US. And so to what extent do they have responsibility of actually listing those things or doing their due diligence before? Obviously, in this case, zero for now. But there's been no guidance that's been released on that, and there's certainly no um, consistency across jurisdictions that we're seeing so far. But um, to what extent does that responsibility lie with them, or to what extent is it the own personal responsibility of, of people either issuing or buying?
2: And while the ICO issue, of course, may be contentious, it's not the only thing Binance is doing. It seems to me, and I'm not an expert on this, but it seems to me that their main goal is to provide liquidity to the market.
3: Well, I mean, I could provide liquidity out of my apartment, too. People could drop off, like, deposits of cash and stuff like that, and I don't have to do KYC on them up to a certain extent. Like,
2: yeah, but it wouldn't be so much what liquidity. What you for that service, too? <laughs> <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be much liquidity, therefore it wouldn't really be well, I'm just useful. saying, like,
3: I could be uncompl- Like, if, if, if any other financial organization could do the same thing. Like, if you go to Binance, they don't have – they're not structured the same way as a regular financial organization because they're trying to not – have to fall in that ex- they want to fall they want to be considered an exception when they're providing the same exact service as a financial organization uh, it's like it's like btce it took five six years to shut that organization down they didn't put like a team page or anything they've moved from one jurisdiction to another and uh, again i'm not saying that um, you know that's all binance is used for but there's a reason why people like being listed on binance it goes back to the liquidity and it goes back to not having to go through heavy compliance like that's not innovation to me
0: crypto globe Bitcoin trading volume has skyrocketed, 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 in Argentina due to rising inflation. Tim, you have strong feelings about Mr. Tapscott and and his purported, uh, I guess he's a, a former hedge fund manager and book writer.
3: Yeah, so for those of you who haven't seen it, Alex Tapscott put out a tweet saying something about local Bitcoin volume skyrocketing. And, What's local Bitcoin? Uh, local Bitcoins is a... A website in which you physically visit uh, somebody and you transfer coins, uh, basically face to face. It's fairly old in terms of that like platform. It's like Tinder for Bitcoin. The uh, the thing is, though, is he didn't denominate it in a meaningful currency. Uh, uh, actually, just published today or the last day or so um, a. Uh, analysis of looking at all the like Venezuela, Argentina, and when you denominate it in US dollar, it's not skyrocketing actually, it's declined in some of these countries. So, um, I think that the, the problem you have with these people that are, have made a, a name of themselves, and I think, I think Larry Cermak, the analyst at DR, who pointed this out, he's like, Alex's post was retweeted 200 times did people not bother to look at you know how it was actually being measured that's really frustrating as a a person who's who's spent a lot of time looking at these numbers and and it seems to me like lazy lazy intellectualism at best so again we could Talk all day long about you know local bitcoins and, <laughs> and the fact that these people are money transmitters without licenses as well. But uh, that's a separate conversation relative to Argentina and Venezuela.
2: Also, so, I don't, I don't remember if you, I don't know if you remember an article that Nathaniel Popper wrote. I think it was back in 2014, which uh, talked about the bitcoin scene in Argentina and how it was one of the few countries in the world in which people were actually using bitcoin on a daily basis. You would meet someone in a bar and they would get you a bitcoin and then you would use that, you'd save that, and then you would convert it out when you needed to buy milk, but shopkeepers were accepting it more and more because of the inflation. It wasn't the fact that Argentina's going into a recession that was the problem. The UK could well be about to go into a recession as well, maybe even the US. That doesn't mean we're going to stop using the pound and the dollar. But it's the hyperinflation that is the problem. That's not new, and that's certainly not new in places like Argentina, Venezuela, and other places like that. So this, this headline is misleading, as Tim said. Apart from the measurement it's it's clickbait it's there's no news yeah. there yeah
1: and when the currency's gone down so much against the dollar and you're making charts in dollars it's uh, it's yeah, intellectually a bit dishonest.
2: It doesn't hurt though for the Bitcoin community to this bring this. This is good this for Bitcoin. Tr- yes, this narrative <laughs> has to be resurfaced. The narrative has to be brought out every now and then to remind everyone: it's not just an investment asset, and we're not just all sitting around waiting for it to go to the moon. Well, it's not always an investment asset, is it?
0: Sometimes it's a divestment asset, as we've seen. <laughs> But, you know, as I said earlier, the virus has got to spread somehow. This is how you do it with 200 retweets. Stories we didn't have time to cover today. Could Ethereum Classic be the biggest winner of 2019? I think this is Betrich's rule of headlines, right? TechCrunch. 21 day Bitcoin challenge. Actually, this one's quite interesting, so check through the notes. It's about a woman in China using 0.21 Bitcoins and going around for 21 days trying to spend it in China. Um, and we all thought it was illegal in China. It's an interesting story, have a read. Um, and then from Crypto Daily, Samsung blockchain tap for South Korea's customs service. On to Tweet of the Week.
2: Tweet, tweet, tweet,
0: tweet. It's the Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the week. This one comes from our, our good friend, de Demirois. Thought of the day, all these so-called ICO skeptics that built their brands off of bashing crypto ICOs, you two have participated in the ICO economy. Those conferences you get paid to travel to, they are funded by ICO money. Those clients who pay you, they raised ICO money. Thoughts?
3: This is completely asinine. The fact that she is able to say this and people retweeted it is absolutely ridiculous. Just by using a computer and that computer was designed by such and such and that such and such was uh, sold to defense contractors doesn't make you liable for what defense contractors are building. Like, it's completely uh, not only a red herring, but slippery slope. Like, I, I've gone to plenty of events. None of them were funded by any ICOs or anything. I, I'm allowed to go to a car show and not have to, you know, even if I owned equity in the car, it doesn't make me a car show or something like that like this is you obviously don't own tesla (laughs) (laughs) this is this projecting like i think she feels guilty for the amount of icos she's been involved in and she assumes everyone else is involved with the same amount of icos i don't think it's
2: just because you talk about money laundering doesn't mean that you participate in money laundering
3: well speak for yourself
2: (laughs) Good
3: point. <laughs>
0: yeah, you haven't been to Tim's liquidity address. <laughs> Tim laundered a lot of no coin. <laughs> I'm, I'm,
3: I'm a big no coin bag holder, it's true. Uh,
0: and Pitch Token Classic. And Pitch
3: Token Classic, yes. <laughs> I, She tried to
0: kind of come back and rephrase this later, and I think she was really trying to hit the point, and I, I don't know if it's even a good point uh, that she was trying to make, which was, you know, a, a lot of people are out there using this as their platform and trying to pitch Moral's. Um, That, you know, at the end of the day, maybe they're no better, no worse than anybody else. uh, And they're just getting sucked in by it. I don't know if that's fair. There's a lot of people who, uh, and Tim, I think you stand out as one of them. A lot of people who have stood back from this and said, not the right way to go. Haven't taken money from it. And, you know, uh, good on you. Uh, It's probably cost you some money. That you could have yeah, I could have easily it.
3: made tens of, tens of millions probably with all the pre-sale stuff. Like, that. But, like, why shouldn't we investigate? Why can't we go to events and, and see these people that for, for face-to-face? Like, why do we have to only read articles about it online? It doesn't make any sense. Like, we should be allowed as people doing research and diligence to actually meet these people face-to-face at events even if it's across the world. Indeed. And you don't flip your plane tickets for 10x returns, do you? <laughs> I do stand outside of airports trying to hawk my, my, my extra plane tickets. This is true. To every other Tim and, 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 and Every time Swanson that gets on the plane is paying 10x, it's true. All right. That about covers it for our show today.
0: But before we go, I'd just like to say that we are 11FS and we're a challenger consultancy working to shape the next generation of FinServe. There you go, Simon. We're taking the show live next week on the 26th of September at London Olympia for Blockchain Live. Woohoo. Head over to blockchainlive.com and check out the latest event announcements. I'll be speaking there. I didn't get paid to fly over there using ICO tokens, so I guess I'm not participating in the ICO economy. But if you're going and you're not paying with ICO tokens, I don't know that they'll accept those actually, get ready for this because I'm about to show you a discount code. For 30% discount at checkout, use M, that's the letter M as in mother, 11FS18 at your checkout to get reduction on your ticket price or just paying tokens if they'll take that. I don't know.
2: Which tokens? Pitch tokens. Pitch tokens.
0: (laughs) Remember to hit subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review. It really helps us out, especially Sarah. She loves them. She reads all of your reviews. Sarah, while we're on it, where where can people find out more about you and your review thoughts?
1: You can tweet me at Seronimo on Twitter or find me on um, almost every single blockchain inside a tweet. (laughs) You too. Yep, and, or you can or you can tweet us at Climatics. We're hiring, so you can go to Climatics.com forward slash careers, or go to GitHub.com forward slash Climatics and and contribute. No,
2: you can find me on Twitter at Noel in Madrid, which is where I live. And don't forget to get your crypto and blockchain news at CoinDesk.com.
0: Mr. Swanson of numbers on Twitter. Yay! And of course, you can find me at XRP Trump on Twitter. Of course, not. Colin G. Platt. A big thanks to our amazing production team at 11FS, our producers Petrit and Laura, who are not here, so but I'm still going to thank them. And of course, Denim. Thanks for doing all the, the hard work this week um, because I sure wasn't going to do it. Uh, and of course, Michael Bailey, who's standing over here drinking water for being our editor and putting up with us for the last year and a quarter or so. Thank you for listening. We will have more Blockchain Insider next week from Blockchain Live. Goodbye.